Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Mastermind FM with me, Mark Zara. And this week, I'm joined by two developers, both of whom are dedicated to writing code of a very high standard and something which, which is something which may be lacking within the, most of the WordPress space at the moment. So today's topic is the impact of great development on your business. So this will affect plugin owners, team owners, agencies, and the like. So if you develop with WordPress or without it, I'm sure you'll hear something of value from these two guys. So first up, we've got uh, Anton Ukanev, who currently leads the development of our very own EDD bookings and WP RSS aggregator projects. And he was also previously a Mastermind FM on the five-man WordPress development panel. Anton, welcome back. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. And we also have with us Mr. Alain Schlesser, who is a previous government agent, now working as a freelance web developer. Alain, it's great to have you with us. Well, thank you. I'm glad I could join. That's great. First of all, I read your website and it says previous government agent. Yes. What was that about? <laughs> <laughs> I worked as a government agent in Luxembourg in uh, prison administration. I was um, mostly responsible for things like human resources, all the more technical details of prison administration. I... Um, coordinated some of the efforts of the IT department and you know, all the general administrative tasks that came up. So mostly through the work with the IT department, I did a lot of government IT work and got certified in, in Oracle technologies and, and Microsoft SharePoint and things like that, which has nothing to do with the web development I'm doing now, but which um, <laughs> yeah, allowed me to dive deeper into what the requirements for, for government and enterprise coding actually are. All right, very interesting. So how do you end up switching to WordPress? Well, I was very unsatisfied with the government work. It was very frustrating because um, it was very difficult to make any meaningful progress. And it was also a bit too close to politics for my liking. So every time there were elections, it basically meant destroy what you've built for past years and build in the other direction. <laughs> so that that was pretty frustrating. It was time for me to move on and do something else. All right, cool. And what have you been doing with uh, WordPress the past few years? So I started doing client websites in the beginning to just learn using WordPress and learn web development and PHP. At one point, I got fed up with the general state of the code in WordPress. So basically, when I started learning, I thought I have to adhere to all the tutorials and, and books and so on that I find on WordPress. But I quickly found out that at least it didn't work for me. And later on, just decided that I thought it was just plain wrong most of the time. And I could produce better resources for that. So I also started sharing a lot of tips on Slack and blogging. Yeah, just trying to share my experience from outside of the WordPress space. And um, yeah, slowly I started contributing more and more to WordPress itself. And by now I'm not doing a lot of client work anymore. I'm still trying to keep client work as a small part of my work to still experience the pain points I'm solving. But mostly nowadays I work on WordPress itself and on WPCLI. So um, I'm being sponsored by, by the company Yoast for part of my time to work, work on WordPress core. And I'm currently maintaining WPCLI, which is also sponsored by Automatic and for hosting companies. 
That's very good. And it's good to see that there's someone like you who's being sponsored by a company like you to do this. I saw Anton smile earlier as well when he said the when he mentioned WordPress. <laughs> <laughs> Anton, I know this is something you struggle yes. with. <laughs> uh, yes, indeed. Would I be right to say, Alan, that your background has given you the necessary engineering perspective to see a way to improve uh, yes, WordPress? Yes, I think that in the WordPress space, it's never questioned that every problem should be solved with WordPress tools and solved from scratch. Not much investigation done on how other systems solve it. There's almost no effort done on trying to see what academia thinks of said problems. So most of the time, WordPress just keeps reinventing the wheel. Yeah. And by doing that, most of the time opts for solutions that were, were proven to be problematic 30 years ago or something. Yes, I must agree. Would you say that part of this is because WordPress, even though it's open source and GPL, does not really allow usage of other open source software due to lack of dependency management built in? It might play a role, but I don't think it's the biggest role. I think that most of the strengths of WordPress are also what cause it to have all these weaknesses in, in its code base. So generally, WordPress aims for very low barrier of entry uh, and to democratize not only publishing, but also contributing to, to its ability for doing publishing. And this means that you'll end up with quantity over quality in terms of contributors, which is not necessarily a bad thing per se. It makes up the success of WordPress, but it just causes WordPress code to not be of, of the highest standard, let's say, because most people start learning development with WordPress and through WordPress. And it's the people that barely got above the entry-level programming uh, skills that teach the others of how to do things. And there's not a lot of people that stay in the WordPress space with outside experience to, to really teach people how to, how to apply proper engineering practices and how to avoid all the pitfalls that come with always heading for the obvious solutions. What do you think the reason for that is? Uh, I think work on WordPress itself is very frustrating if you're just used to better coding practices. And if you were able to work on a good modern project in uh, PHP, for example, then it's very hard to get back to PHP 4.2 requirements for WordPress and deal with the mostly PHP 4 uh, code base that, that WordPress uh, gives you. And so it's quite a step back and it makes your life unnecessarily hard and not everyone wants to, wants to just deal with that. Right. So let's speak about development before we get into the WordPress code specifically. So from both of your perspectives, what do you consider to be some of the most important aspects and principles to consider for great development? I would say it's the use of already proven, established, widely used engineering practices, such as SOLID. Nowadays, we have stuff like PHP the right way, where you can go and learn about PHP. But like Alan said, many people start PHP development with WordPress. And I think that's a big mistake because a WordPress developer is a PHP developer. But apparently, alas. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, I, I completely agree. There's lots of resources available, but not only do most people never, never go through these resources, by now, uh, WordPress is so far away from clean, modern PHP that it's actually 
one of the environments where it's the hardest to produce really clean, solid code because WordPress actually works against you most of the time. It's almost impossible to not experience side effects because of global use or to not uh, have uh, any conflicts with with your uh, libraries that you want to pull in. It's it's very hard to pull off clean coding workloads. Right, so I was actually going to ask you whether it's worth including these resources within the WordPress codex or the documentation. But like you said, since most of it cannot even be applied, it won't really make sense to do that, right? It would cause a severe conflict in the community, in yes, my opinion. Yes, I agree. Um, it's also, one needs to always keep the philosophy of the project in mind. So trying to raise the code quality in WordPress space too far will probably do a disservice to WordPress itself. That the project just thrives on entry-level software developers for plugins and themes, etc. And um, if you would just just from one day to the other, for example, raise the WordPress code to something like Symfony, you would probably lose 95% of WordPress developers all of a sudden. And it, it just doesn't make sense to enforce something like this on WordPress, um, that, that train has passed a long time ago. It's now about avoiding the worst patterns instead of trying to get the very best in. All right. So is there a way to, to avoid anything, any of that at this stage? So we know we can't change WordPress as it is. We know there's a massive community built around it. So what is the best option right now, even given the changes coming up with Gutenberg and everything? So for me, I think that WordPress is a very fine system for content editors, for marketing teams to manage their content in. That's where the strength of WordPress lies. And it's easily possible to build a platform where you use WordPress for its strengths and use other libraries or systems or platforms or whatever to take care of the, of the areas where WordPress is just not that good. There's no reason why you need to put all of your code uh, into WordPress. You can just use it for its strengths and, and just build connections, interfaces, endpoints, whatever you need to, to connect it to other systems to deal with the business process management, to deal with um, the emailing or whatever else uh, comes into mind. No reason, most of all, to tie all of the other things that happen on the more complex side into a WordPress web request that comes with its timeout and, and all the stuff that, that WordPress has going on. So you can just use it for its editing experience, improve that, optimize that for the content editing team, and use something like Symfony with some custom blue code, for example, for all the rest. And people do this. Yes. And people do this. In fact, um... I watched one of the streams from WordCamp and there was a demonstration how it can be done. And in fact, now with emerging technologies such as serverless architecture, Bref, um, which is a serverless, is a framework, PHP framework for such architecture, you don't even have to use PHP everywhere. <laughs> it's, it's beyond that. And that's amazing centralization. Yes. Mark, to answer your question from my side, as some people know, I'm quite dedicated to providing standards and implementations, wrappers, object-oriented implementations that allow you to decouple yourself from WordPress partly or completely so that you can build interoperable software and not rely on WordPress. And it still works. 
Yeah, and we're actually, so I'll bring up ADD Bookings here, which is a project we're working on right now. Uh, Anton's been the lead of this for around a year now. First of all, Anton, can you share a bit about how we're building ADD Bookings and the approach you took to it? Yes, um, there's quite a lot to say, so I, I'm not even sure where to begin. But basically, I try to employ the best standards and practices, including, of course, solid, first and foremost. And that's very important. We use standards that are developed by Rebel Code in-house or by me separately for that. We came up with a modular standard and the modular system, which I have not found an analog of, which is basically a, not a cross-platform, but speaking a platform in terms of PHP, cross-platform modular architecture, where a module does not belong to any particular framework or library. It's just a standard. And so everything in our software is now modular and overrideable. There, there are a lot of standards underneath this. Configuration standard, we use a lot of PSRs and we extend and adapt them. Like for example, we have a map interface, which is a, both a container, a PSR 11 container, and uh, an iterable, which is like a missing piece. Because if you want to use something like PHP's native array object, you must use array object because there is no interface for that, which is quite frustrating. And if you want to decouple your architecture from using specifics into using more of data structures, it's quite hard to deal without that. So yeah, these are like the core concepts that we use. Oh, that sounds very interesting. And I'd like to get a glimpse of that uh, code and architecture. Well, for my own users, I have... Um, all sorts of packages up on GitHub that are publicly available, which also deal with abstracting away a lot of functionality of WordPress and putting it into um, solid components. Also using stuff like uh, PSR logger across an entire WordPress install and things like that. And um, I did um, a use case at WordCamp London, not the last one, but the previous one, uh, discussing uh, more details about this, about this architecture. And it's still running on production on multiple sides at the same time. And it's just a pleasure to work with when you compare that with a normal, regular WordPress site. So basically, the main goal with, with anything I build usually is when requirement change comes, it should always be add code and only do one single change in the existing code. If I need to do more than one single change in the existing code, then something is off with my design. And that's, that's the general principle I always try to obey for making maintenance easier for my future self. So if any, at any time I need to change something, it's most of the time it's just uh, creating new objects and then adding a line in the config file. That's pretty much how we do it too. The single responsibility principle. Yes. Uh, the holy grail. And yeah. All right. So uh, as as a non-developer myself, this was something which Anton took a while to convince me of. So trying to understand the reasons for doing certain things. I was thinking from a business perspective, Anton thinks development perspective. So it took us a while to find the balance between the two. So this is where the whole topic of the impact of great development on your business comes in of finding the balance between taking the time to develop something the right way and not going too far to sacrifice the business side of things as well. So what are your thoughts on this discussion of between time spent developing and not selling yet versus uh, time saved 
after launch, thanks to the changes, thanks to the implementations you've done before? Yeah, first of all, I think that um, from the start, the business objectives and the business requirements, they need to be part of the software design. That's very important because there's lots of factors that, that shape the design. And these might even be such non-technical requirements like the budget, the availability of uh, expertise, etc. So all of these should shape the final software design that is optimized for your specific project that you want to work on. And then basically what software engineering adds to pure development is the dimension of time. So software development, just coding, it's basically solving a problem. Software engineering is solving a problem so that it still stays solved with time, so that it doesn't cause more problems or breaks uh, randomly with time. That's uh, a very simplified view of software engineering, but um, it, it makes it a bit clear what, what the difference is. And so if in terms of what the business value is that, that such an approach provides, it's basically you start off with a more important investment in the beginning, but then with time, your time to market for new features will accelerate instead of decelerate. So instead of building up technical debt, making it more and more time-consuming and more and more expensive to add new features, it's the opposite way around. So uh, all of a sudden, anytime you encounter a new feature you want to build, it's mostly just uh, quick changes and reusing existing code. Most of the tests are already there. So it's becoming faster with time to implement new features, which uh, makes you much more competitive on the market and will probably in the long run decide uh, whether you stay ahead of the curve against your competition or not. I completely, I was gonna say, I don't completely agree. Um, this is something we faced ourselves. So the previous project we had with Aggregator started off as a simple plugin for internal use, ended up going on WordPress.org and then premium add-ons. So there wasn't the thought from the beginning as to what this is going to grow into. That's led to the stage where we're at now, where there's a lot of features included, but to make ch certain changes, it requires either a lot of work or a complete rewrite. And this is something that uh, Anton faced quite recently as well with, with minor changes. So ADD Bookings is a completely different approach and starting off on the right foot. I would like to add that, and maybe disambiguate later, that business and software engineering do not have to be conflicting. They don't even have to be necessarily two different dimensions because software engineering is engineering and it's engineering because it follows cause and effect principles. And the business also follows cause and effect principles. And in that sense, it is also engineering. And that's why, like Alain said, business should directly translate into your software. It's a software business. So making software for business is just a matter of encoding the principles of the business in a way that the computer can understand. They, that, so they need to very strongly correlate. And this, in my opinion, is what it means to develop good software for business. That the concepts, the way that you explain this in programming terms to a computer by writing PHP, in this case software, should be natural, should naturally and directly and completely reflect the business principles. Because if you don't do this, then you are faced with an inconsistency that might be actually impossible to fix. This is architecture. I might want to add to that, yeah. that if you work with a lot of abstractions and build a proper design, 
you can get to a point where the the actual business logic is encoded in such a way that the tests that test this business logic can be read by the business owners and not only by programmers. And the business owners can decide whether that's the business they want to have, whether it needs changes or not. So the end goal with a proper architecture and with proper abstractions is to build such an expressive system that it's not only the programmer anymore that can decide whether that system does actually what it's supposed to do. And and not only read by business owners, but written by business owners. And this is where BDD, behavior-driven development, comes from. You can write your tests in structured English, which, which get translated into PHP tests. This is the future, in my opinion. And this is b- because it will allow automation and automatic compensation for work, automatic following of business rules. You don't even need to care anymore who does what. It passes the test set by the business. And this will encourage the business owners also to specify the requirements more precisely. And this is often a problem that there are no precise requirements. So, yeah, I did it. It's wrong. But what's right? <laughs> you know? So I, Ideally, this would apply to every plugin and team developer out there and WordPress and core development and everything. <laughs> but we also know that most plugin and team owners are either a one-man shop or very small teams. So when it comes to a small team who has a limited budget, in turn, possibly a limited time frame, what considerations should they keep in mind, considering that they can't maybe go all out on making it a perfect solution? I think that they still invest the same time than doing proper coding, but instead of investing the time in coding the next few features, they invested in support that people introduce because of bugs, because of more more scalability issues with time, etc. So basically, um, everything comes with a cost attached, and you cannot get past that cost. You need to pay it somehow. That's what the concept of technical debt basically means. So if you don't build it properly... To take a shortcut, you just spend that same time in the support forums and the support tickets instead of investing it in the next iteration of your software. So there's really no, there is no viable shortcut. It's only uh, people are mistaken that they save time and money uh, doing that. But nowadays, development principles, patterns, tooling, already tried and proven architecture kind of makes good development feasible for a team of any scale. But what's important here is then to identify the scale of your software. Maybe you need to build something smaller and better and then build up on that. Yes, which is also part of doing proper engineering. You start with a minimum viable product. You have a proper project with several phases. And you look at how to get to initial cash flow as fast as possible so that that cash flow can fund the next iterations of your product. That's partly engineering, partly just common business sense. But I think that any product you want to build, it should be able to build it properly as your first iteration already. Except if you just lack the knowledge and the skills to do it, of course. But if you know your way around development, if you know engineering practices, if you know some of the business good practices, then there's probably no reason why you would use such shortcuts. So the vital part comes down to planning your roadmap ahead of time and starting small, basically. Everything always starts with planning, yes. All right. So let's switch a bit back to WordPress now. 
we know we've said that WordPress is, is limited in certain in many areas. First of all, what do you think of its current state and the direction it's taking with Gutenberg? Yeah, I think it's a good thing that Gutenberg tries to improve what is already perceived as a strength for WordPress. I do think, though, there's a bit of an issue in how this project is currently being managed and communicated. And we're still in a phase where it's not foreseeable how it will turn out. There's a huge risk involved. And it's also a project that will move WordPress. I will need to explain this a bit. So as I currently see it, WordPress on a spectrum of blogging engine to enterprise framework, it lies a bit in the middle with being able to be extended in into both directions. And I think Gutenberg will move it much closer to a blogging engine because all of a sudden there's a lot of additional technologies and expertise needed to make basic changes to your editing interface. A lot of business logic will all of a sudden happen on the client side, which is completely not what you want to do in an enterprise setting. So I think it will change how WordPress is perceived and how viable it is in the enterprise segment. Anton, anything like to add? Yes, I, I don't have much to say about the strength because the strengths lie in the UI, UX, usability, accessibility domain. And this is not really my domain. My domain is more engineering, both front-end and back-end. And um, what I can say about the engineering is, as far as I know, content serialization standard that is used by Gutenberg is, in my opinion, and I've heard this opinion before, is not the right choice because it serializes stuff as, if I remember rightly, HTML, right? So serializing content as HTML is a very bad idea because it is tied down. There is a better standard called mobile doc, and in my opinion, that is what should have been used. Yeah, well. Yeah, so what Gutenberg does, it serializes the blocks into HTML comments, which then contain uh, the block type and uh, the attributes that will be passed on to the React blocks. So it's an approach that's neither standard nor very scalable. So we'll have to see how that will turn out. It was done that way to keep it compatible with uh, all the plugins that, that filter the post content column in the database. Mm -hmm. We'll have to see how that will work, but I agree, it's not the approach I would have taken. Then on the other hand, the front-end handling of business logic, as Alain pointed out, in uh, EDD bookings, I have made every effort, sometimes to the point of arguments, to put that logic onto the back-end. So our back-end modules decide everything. The front-end, as far as the front-end can see, the front-end is in control. But what the front-end chooses to do with that control is controlled by the back-end. So as an example, um, we use uh, we chose Vue as our framework of choice. And, uh, of course, we use Vue templates, which means that JS, the, the front-end, controls the rendering and the look of the elements. But the templates come from the back-end, which means that they are editable. And this is not precisely business logic, but it can be. And, yeah, just an example of how back-end controls are. Yes, yeah, so, um, I completely agree. All validation, all decision-making should be done on the server side. Um, the client is just not to be trusted in any way. Yeah. 
And I see a few problems that will come up in the future because now there's more and more, uh, there's a move from server side to client side with Gutenberg because everything now happens in React. And I think a lot of people will not be able to make the distinction between server side and client side and just send some random data over to the client side and then make decisions on the client side, which is very easily exploitable. So uh, I think we'll see a lot of security issues once Gutenberg gets and people need a lot of re-educating before that becomes better. Yeah, Matt Mullenberg a while back had said, learn JavaScript deeply. At WordCamp Europe, during his talk, from the reaction of people around, it didn't seem like a lot of people have learned JavaScript deeply just yet. Mm-hmm. And we're saying that there aren't that many people um, building Gutenberg blocks for their plugins. So there's only a few around right now. Given that Matt Monowick now said that Gutenberg is planned for roughly around August of this year, that to me seems like a short time span, both for Gutenberg itself to be ready and for plugin owners to be ready, for team owners to be ready, everything. It seems a bit too fast, in my opinion. Yes, I agree. It's uh, over ambitious, I think. And I hope that it's just the timeline to target first merge proposal and then it will be reevaluated, assessed whether it makes sense or not. Because if now theoretically Gutenberg would really be merged into a new release in, in core in August, I think that would end up in a disaster because um, plugin developers are not ready. Gutenberg itself is not ready. There's uh, very critical issues that haven't been solved yet. There's fundamental technological requirements that haven't been met yet by Gutenberg. And um, I think anything less than at least a year of uh, further testing and iterations is too soon. It, it might happen because there's a lot of pressure behind the project, but I think uh, it will not be a good thing for WordPress in long run if, if this gets now uh, too hastily merged into core. And plus, there's another thing with uh, just the fact that it's JavaScript. Physicists like to talk about um, quantum physics. And sometimes they say that if you think you know quantum physics, you don't know quantum physics. And sometimes this can be, a lot of times, this can be applied to JS too. If you think you know JavaScript, you don't know JavaScript. It doesn't necessarily need to be understood literally. However, it's very easy to make a mistake in JavaScript. And this language paradigm suffers from the lack of standards in PHP, we have framework interrupt group and JavaScript. There is nothing. So yeah, entry level needs to be higher. The level of understanding needs to be deeper. And I agree with Malinwek on this. And Alan, you mentioned pressure earlier. I think though most of the pressure is coming from within the team itself, because there was never a real demand for a change like this. It was more something that came internally, and. They gave themselves a short time frame. They didn't reach April of this year. So now it always seems like they're taking too long. Um, yes, I, I, the, the entire project was not something that was community-driven. There, there was nothing that expressed an immediate need to rewrite the editor. I think it's just uh, yeah, the eternal team and uh, project lead that pushed this to just get a first version going because there's clear business interests behind it. and. That's not necessarily a wrong thing to have something be business-driven. But here we're talking about controlling a third of the 
internet roughly and the community that keeps that sort of the internet working and that might just awfully go wrong if not handled properly. And but remember this is open source, so it's there's business interests, of course we know what's going on, but at the end of the day, you're affecting the millions of users who are using an open source software. Mm. And basing their existence on it. Exactly. And we've been seeing quite a few articles in the past few months about Gutenberg and the approach being taken, the effect it's going to have on business, the effect it has on WordPress and its users. And one article I read recently, which was quite interesting, was one from uh, Morten Rand Hendrickson. And in it, he mentioned the potential idea of forking WordPress. And the idea of having the classic WordPress, which has the Wizard Editor, and the, the all-new WordPress, which uses Gutenberg. Now, essentially, it makes sense to have both because, one, not everyone needs Gutenberg. So they might prefer to use the old version. It will take time for plugins to actually adapt and get into using Gutenberg over the classic editor. What are your thoughts on the idea of forking WordPress and having to maintain two different versions? So I'm not sure whether whether Morton was really talking about a fork in the sense I understand it in that article, because from what he was after, it looked more like having an LTS branch of the project, basically. So I'm not sure why he used the word fork, because for me, fork means splitting of a separate project with separate, separate governance. Uh, so I didn't understand his article in that way. So I assume he means basically create an LTS version of WordPress, which would rather be a branch than a fork. I'm convinced that something like that would be necessary because um, there's no way that all existing WordPress sites will get rewritten to make proper use of Gutenberg. That just won't happen. And it's a matter of abandoning these, isolating them on an outdated version or giving them an LTS release that still keeps them, that still makes security updates available to them. So that should be an obvious uh, choice to that security updates are always one of the topmost priorities. Really forking the project uh, in the term of having two separate types of governance, two separate projects is not a viable option in my opinion, because um, WordPress is not about the code base. WordPress is about the ecosystem and the infrastructure that powers it. And if you just fork the project, like you fork something on, on GitHub, you will keep one thing that's, that's not really good, the code base, the PHP 4 code, basically, and you get rid of all the rest. So that's not really a viable option, in my opinion. Uh, if I may, I also, maybe this is just my, my inner skeptic, but knowing WordPress history, it doesn't appear that there are going to be any real code improvements in the fork, uh, like Alan said. So it's not about the code base. So yeah, no matter how much it's forked, um, things for developers will generally stay the same with the same problems. However, my opinion on this, and this is what I wanted to mention earlier, is that maybe WordPress does not need to be improved, but maybe it needs to be extended. For example, a very prominent example for me, the lack of... Um, Dependency management in WordPress, which is essentially nowadays composer support because it's indeed the de facto standard. Um, maybe WordPress does not need to add this support to the core. Maybe we should just use something like Bedrock, Roots Bedrock, which allows you to manage your environment with WordPress being one of the dependencies and plugins and themes being dependencies and any other libraries being dependencies too. So this, in my opinion, in fact, now comparing to a normal style of managing a WordPress environment, 
This is the enterprise level way. So maybe this is the approach. Leave WordPress for what it is, allow them to concentrate on the UI, UX, accessibility content, publishing experience, and do the technical part somewhere else, which is the tendency that I'm seeing. Yes, so so this already works right now. I'm I'm not using Bedrock. I'm using WP Starter, but it's basically the same thing. It's a, a tool to bootstrap WordPress uh, through an, an entire Composer site stack and uh, manage the entire site in a version-controlled way. So WordPress already allows for this. And if we would try to improve WordPress in these areas, we might still have a broken system, but it might lock us out of actually using the real systems that are meant to be used for that. So uh, there was a track ticket, for example, for adding composer support where there was lots of discussion. And in the end... Wasn't it your ticket? Uh, no, that, that was about the autoloader. Uh. Uh, here it was about, um, I think, Andrei Savchenko initially created that track ticket. And in the end, he himself said, well, let's just leave it like that because I prefer not having something merged rather than merging something that now uh, excludes people from properly using Composer. So right now we can use these proper tools and improving halfway in any of these directions might lock us out of doing it properly in the first place. So what is the answer? Without things like dependency management, GPL is just a joke. Because what are you going to do? I mean, you can use, like we in our plugin, we use composer to actually bring all the pieces of the plugin together and stuff but writing another plugin that uses the same dependencies would be a real problem like what is the solution then for client projects right now there is actually no real problem because you can just use wordpress as a dependency and at 100 custom plugins uh, for for all sorts of functionality that you need and it just works what is difficult right now is um, creating public plugins that you want to distribute or sell because there, there's some fundamental pieces missing. And I also think that real dependency management like Composer provides it will never be a proper part of WordPress core because it goes against the main philosophy of the WordPress project. So basically, WordPress states that the user should not receive technical errors because they are not developers. And in PHP, which, which is different than the JavaScript ecosystem, for example, in PHP, you can only load something with a given name once. And the only way to deal with conflicts and dependencies is to throw errors and let a developer sort it out. There is no automated way of doing it. So something like Composer support for figuring out dependency conflicts in plugins just goes against the very fundamental principles of the project. All right. We can keep going for quite a while on this, but we're soon running out of time. So we'll change a bit the track. So Alan, you recently spoke at a number of WorldCamps. I believe you spoke in Torino and London and in Porto, and then in, in WordCamp Europe, right? Yeah, so I think there were a few more, and I did a workshop in, in WordCamp Europe, not a talk. Right, sorry, workshop. How important is it to share it publicly and teach others about everything that we've talked about today? I think it's very important. And I think there's more, more awareness for the general WordPress public that there are technical issues with WordPress, that there are things that need to be done better in the future. For example, for WordCamp Europe, for the workshop I did with uh, David Muster together, we gambled. We basically created a workshop 
that was way beyond what, what normal WordCamp uh, content usually provides. And we thought that if there's a chance to make that work, it will be at WordCamp Europe with a big crowd. And we added a very tough requirement in a workshop descriptor. So basically, we only wanted people that already knew all the basics of object-oriented programming, that, that knew what encapsulation means and things like that. And we taught them dependency injection and design patterns. And we were very unsure whether that would even work out, whether we might just stand in front of an empty room in the end. But I have to say that it did actually work. So there is still hope. I could really uh, see people uh, that I just explained the decorator pattern to just create a new decorator implementation from scratch and um, it just worked. So I think there's more and more people becoming aware of this. There's more and more people that do development as a craft they want to perfect instead of just a means to an end. So the future does not look as bleak as I myself might sometimes <laughs> picture it. But yeah, the educational part is very important and it's all the more important now that we get a new influx of developers due to uh, Gutenberg. So there's more and more JavaScript developers uh, joining the ecosystem. And I think if we show them from the start that WordPress really tries hard to improve, then the good developers will find a reason to stay. Because otherwise, um, I saw that a lot in the PHP space, there's uh, good developers entering the open source WordPress world and then leaving a few months later because it, they just don't see any hope of, of the situation improving in any way. So we should really communicate that there's an intent to improve, even if we're not there yet. And um, so the educational component is not just about improving the current developers, but also about showing that WordPress does actually care about quality. It's just we're in a very bad spot right now and we need all help we can get to improve. This is all very good to hear. And I want to thank you and everyone else who was at WordCamp uh, giving workshops like this for actually taking an interest in it. How was the, the turnout for, for the workshops? So we had a full room. It was actually 50 people, which was quite big for a workshop of that type. From the start, we did pair programming. So that was also something that was new for a lot of people, but that they found very interesting. And it helped us manage the room better. In the end, I think we're still left with at least 36 people that were still coding, still discussing the solutions. And that was after a three-hour workshop. So that, that went exceptionally well, as far as I can judge. Yeah, that's very good, definitely. So apart from attending WordCamps, attending workshops like these, we want to educate as many developers as we can to use these best practices. So what other resources do uh, both of you recommend uh, from your experience in the past that people can refer to to improve their level of development? Yeah, generally, I think people just should read the most popular resources on PHP. PHP the right way is a great way to start. You can follow Alan Schlesser, you can follow Carl Alexander, you can see how we do our software and how other uh, companies that have the goal of improving WordPress do their software. So apart from reading, and there are resources available online. When I was learning PHP, there was nothing like this. You just used to be like a blind kitten in the darkness. But now there is there's standards, there's a, a group that sets its goal to be that. So it's, yeah, 
besides that, you just need to read code. And I think most importantly, you need to set for yourself that goal of improving because this is, in my opinion, the biggest problem. Whoever wants to improve, they find these resources because they're easy to find, but most people do not want to look, like Alan said, it's not a means to an end. It should be a continuous improvement. Yes, I completely agree. There are lots of resources out there. You just sometimes need to skip the WordPress word in your search and just look for PHP resources. Uh, because in WordPress space, as I said, uh, a lot of resources are just plain wrong. But for example, there's a very good GitHub repository that's called Learning OOP in PHP, which just contains a huge collection of resources you can go through. There's there's a lot of very valuable repositories on GitHub where you can just freely look in the code and browse it. So that's one of the big benefits of open source. The source is open, so uh, make use of it. It's very easy to find good examples if you just take a few minutes to inform yourself about which projects are really uh, pushing the envelope in terms of uh, code quality. And for those listening, just to mention it, we'll add all links to all these in the show notes as well, so everyone can refer to them right away. Anton, you're going to say? Yes, I would like to mention that I super admire what Alan is doing and what Carl Alexander is doing. It just makes me very, very happy because I do not have the patience to educate people in such a kind way. I am extremely impatient. So, so <laughs> yes, I just say, okay, this is the way you do it or, or that's it. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's extremely important. I think like following Alan is, is one of the best things that the developer can, can do. <laughs> Very good. Yes, that's something that I see a lot. As I said, there's a lot of good developers entering the WordPress space, but a lot of them, they just, at one point, they, they just give up. They just don't want to deal with it anymore and state the same basic things all the time without noticing any improvements. So that's a, that's a real problem. But there are people still doing that. Just as an example, the workshop I did in WordCamp Europe now, I had Carl Alexander, Giuseppe Mazzapicca, and Gary Jones as teaching assistants. Uh, so that workshop alone was full of quality people that, that were just there to, to help people improve. What do you think about having conference for WordPress developers rather than as WordCamp Europe is focused on WordPress in general? I find it a bit difficult because still for such a conference, it would be difficult to have a targeted skill range. So it would probably be easier than a normal WordCamp. But all of a sudden you have a conference where it's very difficult to get sponsoring because there's no one running around who you can sell something to. There will be no one around to help organize it or something because you will also be left only with the developers for the entire rest of the conference, not only for the talk. So I think it's very difficult to pull that off. But for example, if you really intend on learning better programming in the WordPress space, there's PHP conferences and there's JavaScript conferences. There's no reason why you shouldn't go there and learn something in these conferences. WordCamps are about the interdisciplinary community building. So the most important bit is not uh, improving the developers. If you want to improve the developers, they should go to a developer conference that's specific about language, because otherwise it's still mixed up in some weird way and there's no targeting. 
I, I can also think of another difficulty. It, it seems like Alan just sort of in a way caught those developers there. Maybe they went there and they were expecting to see some WordPress development improvement practices and he gave them solid. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we had, uh, I, I was TAing in a unit testing workshop uh, before. So we basically, we, we were cross TAing in, in two different workshops to be able to get skilled people to, to TA for the more advanced workshops. So I was TAing in a workshop that Colleague Alexander Giuseppe and uh, Thorsten Froman did. It started with, during the introduction, one person left, cursing the world about who came up with the idea to sign her up for that. She, she, she was not understanding a word. And that was the introductory slide. <laughs> they hadn't even started. So that's, that's the skill range you need to deal with at WordCamps. And it makes it very difficult to do anything more than introductory content because you always have half the room full of people who have no clue what you're talking about. And that's, that's not very productive. But you know what? But maybe this is okay. Maybe this is what it takes to separate people who want to learn from people who don't want to learn because becoming a good engineer in anything is hard. It takes discipline. I would even say that it's a spiritual practice. It's a work with ego. It's not just professionalism or whatever. So maybe this is what it takes. Some people will leave. So I have no problems at all. If people leave my workshops or talks, then, then it was just not a, good, not a good fit. But I had an experience, for example, in Porto, WordCamp Porto, they did a new format. They did the master classes the first day and more beginner uh, topics the second day. So they had asked me to, to speak for one of these master classes. And for my ego, it was great because I was, uh, at that day, it was only one track in the main hall. So I was in front of a big audience. I was one of uh, the main speakers there. But in the end, I just noticed that it was a room full of people and maybe 10 of them understood what I was talking about. So <laughs> there's just no point in, in, in doing something like that. It's just not, if it's not targeted, it's inefficient and it just takes away from the conference as a whole, I think. But at the same time, we're talking about educating not just in general uh, PHP developers, but WordPress developers. And WordPress developers don't usually go to general PHP conferences, as far as I know. I've never been to one. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes, that's certainly true. Hopefully what you can see is introductory courses at WordCamp, like those at WordCamp Europe, and then hopefully from there they'll go on to PHP conferences, JS conferences and continue expanding from there. I think workshops might actually be a, a good fit because, as I said, there's no point in standing in front of a large audience in front of a big room. Chances are very high that it's not targeted at all. But if you do smaller workshops, besides the normal main speaking tracks, I think you can uh, better reach the people you can actually have an impact on. Hopefully we'll see more of that. Okay, guys, so to close off, Alan, is there something, uh, some interesting project that you're working on which you'd like to share? In the coming days, I will start a new feature project for building a notification mechanism, notification center in WordPress, because that's sorely missing. And uh, that will then hopefully get rid of all sorts of weird communication <laughs> ways we have for plugins and themes, etc., and just provide a proper notification system that users can control and configure and that comes with separate channels and, and that all plugin developers can then make use of uh, to, to not 
annoy people but still get the important feedback from users. Only just a few days ago, I had a discussion about this within ADD bookings, about how to handle notices and notifications and talking about a notification system. Anton was talking about this myself. Yes, uh, yeah, that, that's really missing right now. I would love to be uh, to, to take a look and uh, maybe be a part of that. In fact, for WPRA, for Aggregator, we had built a notification system. But at first, it was a very procedural approach because you know how it goes. First, you develop something minimally viable, like you said. So we said, okay, let's just, let's just do something that works. Then we decided that object-oriented approach is better and we built an OOP interface. But because it wasn't done right, there's not really... Uh, much defense injection involved there. It's it's flawed, but I can definitely take away some lessons from that. Um, <laughs> we'll get in contact after the session here and <laughs> we'll make that happen. Excellent, guys. Thank you very much. I hope everyone found this talk interesting. And uh, Alan, where can people find you? Uh, I guess the easiest uh, way is to find me on Twitter. So my handle is uh, Schlesser R uh, in one word. And I'm also available on Slack in a lot of teams like the official makewordpress.org team under the same handle. Also, I have a personal blog at alanschlesser.com. Yeah. Anton, how about you? Yeah, so I think uh, Twitter should be probably the first preference. I hope there will be a link there because it's kind of hard to understand how to, how to write that. And uh, also maybe checking out GitHub. My GitHub activity uh, is a very good idea. Very good. We'll add links to those in the show notes. Guys, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to have you with us. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Mastermind.fm. If you liked what you heard in today's episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your feedback encourages us to keep producing the kind of content that you have come to rely on for your own entrepreneurial journey. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover on the show, send it to us through our website or via email at podcast at mastermind.fm or even connect with us on Twitter at mastermind.fm. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a fantastic week.